Hello, you're listening to the National Trust podcast. 2020 marks our 125th anniversary and a special year of activity. This year, we're ramping up our efforts to protect our natural world. One major threat of our time is plastics. So this week, we're sharing an episode of Countryfile Live 2019, a podcast series we launched this January. This podcast brings you the best interviews and debates that took place in the National Trust Theatre at last year's live event. Over four days, the National Trust hosted talks, covering topics from food and farming to the benefits of nature to our well-being. In this episode, Countryfile presenter Tom Heap and a panel of experts discuss how we could fix the plastic problem. If you enjoy this, you can find the rest of the series on all podcast directories or at nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcasts. This is Countryfile Live 2019, the podcast that lets you relive some of the best moments from the talks and presentations that happened in the National Trust Theatre at this year's BBC Countryfile Live event at Blenheim Palace. In this series, you'll hear from the likes of Ray Mears on the best time to get involved with nature, from JB Gill on his transition from fame to farming, and from Timothy Bentink, aka David Archer who gives us a peek behind the scenes of The Archers. In this episode, we join Countryfile presenter Tom Heap in conversation with Richard Walker, Managing Director of Iceland, Ross Savage, an environmental advocate, Martin Dory, author and founder of Two Minute Beach Clean, and Adam Reed, External Affairs Director at Suez, Global Experts in Water and Waste. They discuss the problem of plastics and some of the solutions that may help us deal with it. What has really changed? How far do you think we've come in, in the last 18 months or so? Just a couple of minutes, please. Well, thanks, Tom. I think, I think we've come a long way, but many of you might argue that you can't see the change. And I think that's because systemic change, system change, takes time. Um, we've got public awareness higher than ever before. We've got big businesses making huge commitments to change. We've got national programs like Plastic Pact looking at implementing uh, massive scale change in the supply chain to raise recycled content and to simplify packaging so that your lives are easier in terms of what to do with it and how to deal with it. We've got on-pack labeling trying to make your life easier. And then you've got ourselves investing in infrastructure to separate, segregate and recycle that material. But all of that takes time and effort to get it right. Moving too fast puts the whole system at risk if the supply chain is out of sync. So we spend a lot of time talking with big business about their plan changes, and we spend time talking to government about what's coming in terms of producer responsibility, uh, deposit return schemes. So huge consultations over the last 12 months, massive response from the public and industry, the signs are very positive, and I'm very optimistic, Tom, that we're on the right path, but it will take a year or two to get all of that embedded change to work. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to cut in. When you say positive, does that mean you think we will see and you want to see a deposit return scheme on plastic? Uh, do I want to see? I, I think I want to see less plastic and I want to see more recycling. 
if DRS deposit return is the right answer, then we would support it. But we also feel that extended producer responsibility with big brands taking ultimate responsibility for the entire life cycle of their products and packaging is the first step. So I'd prefer producer responsibility, consumers making the right choices, businesses making it work, and us helping secure that system. If we then have leakage or we're, we're still suffering litter from plastics, then DRS is absolutely the next step. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more, but I want to bring in other people to the show as well. I mean, really the same question. What has changed or what, if, if you think it's inadequate, what now needs to change? So I think that public perception has completely changed just in the last year alone even. In the Collins Dictionary, the word single use became a new word for the year because people understand not only just what uh, the impacts of single use, but the role that it has uh, on our environment and society. I always say that there are so many different things that need to change. Uh, I sometimes think that politics waits for people to change. And they say, what people say, what comes first? People, politics, business, media, or even finance and investment. And to me, it's all of those things. And I think that when we're looking at uh, the public perception of plastic, I have friends that I went to school with that used to laugh at me because I'd bring my reusable bottle with me consistently. And now, uh, just, and, and just this year, there's something like, that plastics issue, a bit scary, isn't it? Like, glad that finally people are starting to catch up. And this is a conversation that we have been having a lot. And I think that what does need to change is... Um, our understanding of where plastics are, it's insidious in our society. I actually went plastic free for just a week because I thought it would mean that I was able to change lots of those uh, institutionalized habits that you so have. So what does that mean? Does it mean you got rid of your, your computer that has a plastic around its screen? Well, uh, is, you know, it's in so much of our stuff. Actually living plastic free is virtually impossible, isn't it? It shows how insidious it is. That but you say it's insidious, aspect, is it, for, you know, for these chairs here, is it a bad thing? Um, when I say it's insidious, so... I discovered I'm a massive tea fan. I can't begin to tell you how many cups of tea I had. Could you imagine my shock when I discovered that there's plastic in tea bags? And um, when, you, when they compost, I had noticed that you do still get that, that they don't compost properly. And the idea that as we're drinking our cups of tea, that there was plastic in that, I think that a lot of people didn't realize until it was brought to public attention. And we've seen tea companies trying to change that. But the idea that such small things that we do has plastic at the heart of of it. Uh, um, but so just to be clear, is your f feeling that it's really, we do need to focus on single-use plastic, that that's the issue, or are you against plastic in all its forms? I think that plastic in all of, obviously plastics, even single-use plastics do f uh, use their, have their function in some places. Places like the NHS, for example, you can't talk about, uh, they have a, such a vital role in some aspects. But to do with well, it, cleanliness and, and things like that, and, and sterilisation, yeah. It isn't just single use. Uh, it's plastics that are reused that still end up in our oceans, that still end up in our food cycles. And what the, the reason the system is broken is because plastics are the cheapest and easiest options on too many occasions. And even when we're seeing the fossil fuel industry subsidised by government, that also, it's, uh, it's through the oil industry that we produce our plastics, and it means that there's subsidy going towards something that's detrimental to the environment. And what we need, and I think that what we all want in this room, is for the greenest option to be the cheapest and easiest option, not the option that's environmentally destructive. Yeah, would, that would happen. Yeah. Uh, 
Roz, what, what do you think? What, what, have you noticed actual changes in the last two years and what would you like to change? Well, I think from the British perspective, we can be really proud of ourselves that um, inspired by Sir David Attenborough and his team, it's been absolutely brilliant to see everybody from the Queen to the Houses of Parliament to the supermarkets to the pubs really getting on board with the, the no to single-use plastics. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> um, on the global level, plastic production is still going up. It went up 3% last year. And a slightly sad statistic that I will then put a more positive spin on is that um, North America and Europe, between us, only account for 5% of mismanaged plastic. So... We're fortunate in that we have good um, rubbish collection systems uh, so that actually it's mostly not our plastic that is escaping into the environment. But so clearly the countries like China, other Asian countries and India need to do an awful lot to get their act together. But there's no room for complacency for us either because actually in my book, plastic that goes into landfill is still not sustainable in the sense that it is going to be to the detriment of future generations that they've got like these non-biodegradable midden heaps still there. So there's still, uh, there's a lot to celebrate, but there's also still a long way to go. Plastic in your watch strap there. Um, is that a good use of plastic? I've, this watch has crossed several oceans and so it uh, is, still going strong. So it is, because it's an incredibly strong. robust material. It is. Yeah. Um, so... I'm afraid I had a lot of plastic on my boat because it's brilliantly useful, waterproof stuff. I mean, that, that, hence the title, there's too much of a good thing because in many respects, it is a good thing. I don't think any of us are demonising plastic. We're just saying that it mustn't be allowed to escape from what is hopefully increasingly becoming a circular economy, escaping from there into the natural world. Richard, you must be feeling this every day in the, in the uh, retail business, uh, the, the pressures. But I wonder if you could cut through that and say, you know, are there some things which you think are just hot air? You know, what is actually changing for you or you're seeing around you and, and, and what is not? Yeah, so we, we made our commitment, which was, was the first in the world uh, in January last year. And uh, lots of people were sceptical and didn't, weren't quite sure how we were going to get there. And to be honest, I was one of them because... I would much rather set a big, bold ambition and make sure that all of our 25,000 staff are motivated and driven in that direction rather than wait around and, and wait for someone else to impose it. In terms of what's gone on, and I am fully optimistic we are going to get there, um, but in terms of what's gone on, quite a lot in store. We've removed, uh, as of last December, 1,500 tonnes from things like our egg punnets and some of our bagged products, some of our ready meal trays. And since then, we've removed more. But if you go into our shops, it's still a wall of plastic, and it frustrates the hell out of me. Um, so obviously, I want to move quicker, and we will if we can. But of course, the challenges are so great. It is a mountain that we have to climb, and we're right at the forefront in terms of innovating with new technologies, new R&D, and all of this has to be at a, a, a net neutral cost to our customers because we're not going to pass on a, a penny to them. I don't see why I should have to, and also it would be commercial suicide in the UK grocery market to do so. And a, a question of the, of the risk of, well, I hope not insulting the audience here, but, but a question about the, the market generally. We hear a lot yeah. about how the general public is turning its back on plastic. 
Do you think that's actually true, apart from the sort of uh, 5 or 10% who are, who are really environmentally switched on? You know, most of them are living in Bristol or Oxford or Cambridge. Um, and, you know, as a mass, I mean, I'm just wondering if the reality check, not just necessarily in your supermarket, in the others, the guys are saying, actually... People don't care that much. What do you think? Yeah, we're only going to change the world if we make this scalable. And we make it scalable by democratising environmentalism. Environmentalism at the moment, very middle class thing. Here we are in the National Trust tent. And, you know, it's easy for, as you said, 5% of society to virtual signal to each other. We serve 5 million customers a week and uh, we serve all of the under-deprived communities in the UK. Yeah, and do you think and they really give a monkey's about Of course about they do, of course they do. They do. But, but they have a different hierarchy of needs. You know, they might have £25 a week to spend on food, that's it. And, you know, their parents are engaged in nature as much as anyone else, but there is, this is where climate and environmental justice is wrapped up in social justice as well. And those two things are interlinked. Our customers really care about it, but they can't afford to pay a penny more to do so. And, and Martin, I mean, the same question if you like, but also are you seeing any change? I mean, you, you do the you walk on the, you know, the, the, the beaches and see what's actually washing up. Are you noticing, just as a first thing, are you noticing any change out there or is that yes, too much Yes, I to think expect? so. I mean, oh, um, so there, there are two sides to it, I think. There's, there's the response to it, um, which is that it's getting very easy for corporates to call us up and say they want to go on a beach clean, <laughs> right? Which is great but they still have to change in the back room. And that's the, one of the responses. So there's so a knee-jerk reaction. So this is like reaction. a team bonding thing yeah, for, we're gonna for take big corporates. Our, yeah, we're going to take all our stuff <laughs> on a beach clean. Can you come and help us? It's like, yeah, okay, I'll tell you what, if you cut your single-use plastic, and that's a very difficult question for them to answer. You know, but, but um, uh, the other thing is that, you know, there's lots of Facebook shares. And I, I get, if I get, you know, I get sent a load of stuff about plastic every day, um, and I think people then think it's off their conscience. And actually, I think... Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a massive response to it, um, but actually the reality might not be happening. Um, I mean, it's easier for me to get books written about plastic now. <laughs> Publishers since, are coming to you, are they now? <laughs> you know, since Blue Planet 2. But then, then the reality is that I got sent a picture of this book. Can everybody read what it says on the front? No more plastic. It gets wrapped in plastic by resellers. So it was sent to you wrapped in plastic, was yeah. it? Yeah. So, so, you know, so there is this, 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 this part of it, which is that I think we are kind of sometimes sleepwalking into oblivion with this, that it is so ingrained in our society that, you know, I, I was in a bookshop um, talking to somebody about why they were wrapping up books in plastic, and they say, well, it's because people want their stuff fresh and new, and they don't want it to be thumbed on the shelves. Um, and also, I mean, the other thing that's the, the knee-jerk reaction is the idea of new plastics and new waste streams. So, um, so we, we go... We, we hate those coffee cups because they're plastic. And yet, hey, guys, you can have a guilt-free coffee by having a compostable coffee cup. What they don't tell you is that that coffee cup can only be composted by experts under certain conditions. So you go away feeling like you've, you're being very virtuous. The simple answer is to have a cup, a real cup that you refill, you know. And, and actually, um, the, the, there's... The sort of lack of information, I think, is, is, is really telling. So the National Trust, let's hold them up um, because they changed their magazine wrap to a, a, a compostable wrap, a home compostable wrap, and they put instructions on it, um, how to deal with it. Now, I got a T-shirt in a degradable plastic bag the other day with no instructions. Degradable, oxo-degradable, photo-degradable, biodegradable, and, and it's, we don't know. I, I want to put a bit of that. You just wanted to come in quickly on something, Richard, did you? Yeah, I, I mean, it's... 
testament to the fact that we're not there yet because more plastic bottles were sold this year in 2019 than last year. That um, is a key figure. Funnily enough, I was just, I was, something I was going to put to Adam, but I asked for some figures, just happens that I know someone in the in, in Cambridge area of waste management, and I asked him for the tonnage of figures that are coming through their place. And Cambridge, as I said, is a kind of place with lots of environmentally switched on people. Uh, every year, every month, year on year, between 2018 and 20. Sorry, 2017, 18, and 2018, 19, basically the last year, it had gone up slightly over the year. Gone up after all this talk. But that's why it's so incumbent on retailers, on business, on industry to come up with solutions and alternatives that are as cheap, as convenient, um, and have the same functionality as well. And we we are failing every day, but we also have some successes in the technology we're utilising. I just wanted to pick up this issue of biodegradability and composting because it's a very slippery term this isn't it I mean can you just help the audience out here with what is good and what is not when it comes to words like compostable and biodegradable so so compostable on on packaging means you can't compost it in your compost heap at home it needs to go into an industrial composter which means you need a collection system that's designed to take it to an in-vessel composter and how would you know if you had that in your area (laughs) by asking your council and most of you won't Uh, Biodegradable, on the other hand, has to go to an anaerobic digester. And again, you have to ask your authority, where is my food and organic waste? Where is my garden waste going? Now, most of the biodegradable and oxo-biodegradable and compostable uh, packaging in this country is not ending up in any form of recycling-type facility because it can't be treated in a recycling facility. It may end up in a landfill site. Most of it is being burnt for energy recovery currently, because we haven't got the systems in place to keep it separate so it does go with your food and garden waste to, tr- to sites that are deemed suitable for that material stream. So, in your view, is it better to have a recyclable, regular plastic bottle than something that says uh, biodegradable or, or compostable? Would you, can you handle sort of bi- properly recyclable plastic better? Currently, we would much prefer quality recycling of a simple plastic polymer that we can put through our facilities and put back to market. And sorry, just to de-jargon that, when you talk about simple plastic polymer, you mean the kind of things that milk, bo- milk comes HDP, in or, milk or bottle, mo- most water bottles? PET, water bottle, happy days. They are easy to recycle if we can capture them. The problem is when you litter them, maybe not you guys and girls, but when they get littered, they don't get captured in a recycling system. That's the problem. But they're easy to handle, and we'd much rather have them than a complicated could be recycled, could be composted, could be digested, if we get it right. The future may be OXO biodegradable or or compostable, but we're a long way from there now. Deposits, straight on. Should they be on on the kind of plastic plastic that... The deposit schemes in uh, the US have have been very successful. Um, There's, um, I think, if you put something like a five-cent deposit on a bottle, then the return rates are 20%. If it's, uh, I think, a quarter on a bottle, then the return rates go up to 90 or 95%. So that seems like a really good place to start. And also picking up on um, what was just being said about limiting the number of different kinds of plastics, um, I'm willing to be corrected on this, but I think in Japan they have nine core kinds of plastics that... um, and, and that's it. You can't have other plastics. So, you know, you've got a flexible one, you've got a rigid one, you've got 
for nine different purposes, but it makes it an awful lot easier and, to and recycle And does it say those. one to nine on the thing and you have bins labelled one to nine? Is that I how believe it so, but I'm sure someone else on the panel probably knows more about this than I do. She says, looking at Adam. <laughs> Not one to nine, but they, they have a simpler system, certainly. Okay. Amelia, we have a snap election around the corner and uh, there's a little change in the electorate and you get made Environment Secretary. Uh, what, would you be, uh, what would you be putting in place by way of policy to encourage recycling? Well, I think that it's really important that we think of this as a system change and not just about recycling itself, because when we do recycle, we're still produ producing these materials. There's still an energy cost to that. And if there hadn't been plastic in the first place, then we would be thinking very differently about how we built our society. I think it's interesting that there are some local councils that are considering things like um, a cup return scheme. Those of you that have been to music festivals that are reducing their plastic, you'll know that you put a small deposit on a cup, uh, you buy your beer or whatever, your wine, uh, you... Gets. Once you've finished it, you return the cup either for a new glass of beer or for your money back. And there are some people who have been thinking about trialing how we do this in the local area so that you're not just creating waste, you're not just creating recycling. Because the last figure I heard was it was something like 9% of plastics get recycled. Yeah. And well, although nine. nine. Of all plastics, includes yeah. films. In which case, we need to have a huge... It's, we're, we're putting the pressure on people to know they're recycling and to do it. Um, in places like Newport in South Wales, where they've pushed some of the highest recycling rates, they've realised that they've hit a point where they simply don't know how they can continue to engage people into recycling and have moved to the point where they're now talking... Not that I necessarily agree with this, but they're now talking about fines because for people who don't recycle because they can't see how they can make it easier, how they can encourage more how they can put more education out there. Because there's a limit. When we keep producing this, there's a limit to what we can achieve by recycling alone. And um, so I think that, uh, personally, I think that there should be um, a ban on all non-essential single-use plastics because I think that we... I don't, I mean, there are, there are countries that are taking single-use plastics far more seriously than we are. And I think that we can, we're already seeing water in tins. We're seeing other ways of actually um, containing our produce. Uh, we're seeing the effects that, uh, uh, I mean, they didn't actually do it, but Johnson & Johnson uh, were trying to step up to the mark on this so, so the week after um, the uh, Blue Planet and talking about how actually lots of their products could be produ produced by with using wood with things like um, the cotton wool buds and things like that. When we there's a really interesting book called Zero Noughts, um, and the concept of that is that if we say to people reduce your energy consumption by 50%, reduce your plastic use by 50%, then people will just pick the low hanging fruit and say. Um, well, to just take the easy options, whereas if you challenge people to zero, you have this fundamental system change that means that businesses and the environment can change. So I'm not saying overnight a ban on single use, but making sure there's a support and investment to make sure we get there. There's something really important. I know this is a discussion about plastic, but there are a lot of people in the environmental world are concerned that the sort of moral panic about plastic is... Uh, masking the possibly the more important problem of climate change. And I take this bottle as an example. So I was given this um, today as a sort of lovely, it's, a, it's, a, it's an aluminium drinks bottle. Aluminium is one of the most energy intensive things to produce. And because of the anti-plastic fervor, people are giving these out as kind of virtue signaling things. Uh, just before you come in, Richard, I mean, do you think that is a danger, that our obsession with plastic 
is damaging the fight against climate change. Because this stuff is also really energy intensive to make and really heavy to transport. And a well-made and recycled plastic bottle would be more climate friendly than that. It's interesting because when you look at the um, rise in plastic use, it also falls quite in line with the rise in consumerism as well. And there's definitely a role in consumerism of, um, I mean, essentially, one of the, some of the stuff I've worked on is on clothing. And the idea that uh, we produce so many clothes a year, the average lifetime of an item of clothing, that, I mean, this contains this contains plastics effectively yeah. it will be releasing microplastics every time i put it into the wash it is, it is very it is very important but do you think there is there is have we got plastics at the right place or we can um, i think we need to use them more sensibly i was speaking to a, a, an organic farmer this week about his plastic usage and he's cut plastic out of his his uh, his his workings and he sends plastic out on the internet and sorry sends his meat out on the inter, on, online um, and he said he looks backwards to look forward to a better future. So actually, the simple solution to the problem of uh, bottled water and the weight is to get it out of a tap, you know? Um, and actually, if we start to, uh, you know, yes, I'm virtue signaling myself here with the bottle. Oh, look at us all. You know, you know, yeah, we've all. So we've all got them. So, but but the, the fact is that if, if it's, the, it's this question of end of life and complete life cycle, and, we've, and Hugh Fernley Wittestall has made us doubt, and we kind of knew it, that some of the recycling streams aren't going the way we want them to. And, and, and actually, if you don't know what's going to happen to it, avoid it. The, the plastics pushback is great, if only because it has completely galvanised you know, a, a whole generation of people, and there is a zeitgeist there that is uh, reassessing our role with the environment. Um, of course, there are so many at the time of this um, climate crisis. There are so many environmental ills. Uh, there are many problems from deforestation through to climate change. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, humanity is very binary. It's not about no plastic or all plastic. We just need to reassess our relationship with this material and uh, look at it more sensibly. And I say that as the retailer who is getting out of plastic, but we're doing that as a protest to show that it is possible, it can be done, and alternative materials are available. Yes, aluminium is by far the most polluting if it's virgin aluminium. If it's recycled, it's the best. And yes, glass is heavier to transport, but people forget that plastic comes from a, a finite fossilised carbon that's been fracked uh, and is created from a petrochemical. There's nothing worse for the environment than that fact. So, you know, you've got to look at the full life cycle of all of these materials. You mentioned earlier that an awful lot of the source of our plastic in our oceans is um, uh, China, Southeast Asia, uh, places like that, where we send a lot of our plastic to be recycled. Is that something that, you know, we, what do you think about the fact that we are sending recycling to these other countries? Well, I think it picks up on what you were saying earlier about clearly when we ship containers full of plastic to China for recycling, then the carbon footprint of that is enormous. And I, um, I'm sure many in the audience have, have heard of the, the three R's of refuse, reuse and recycle in descending order of preference. So you put refuse at the top, not reduce. Most people put reduce. You put refuse, as in don't have it in the first place. Yes, yeah, say, say no to the, the goodie bag of things that you don't need. Just um, we live in an economy that's always trying to get us to embrace more, more stuff, uh, more consumption. And it's not particularly making us any happier in our lives. And so there's definitely less is more. And that's really the philosophy that we need to embrace. Uh, lady over there, please. We spent a holiday in Scotland. 
and the arable farms up there cover their fields in plastic. We live next to a farm where they wrap their bales of silage in plastic, not once, but many times. I think they are possibly the greatest criminal when it comes to one-use plastic that never gets reused. What is your view? Well, we, I, I'm going to start really. We did a, a country file about farm plastic uh, ooh, about a year ago. Can't quite remember. Uh, and the, there was a place that was recycling it. In, well, there was one place that was taking it in and recycling it in the UK, although I think it may have gone overseas. One of the issues is it, I mean, it is recyclable. I'm going to get you to come in on this, Adam. It is recyclable. One of the problems is it, it's dirty, and the cleaning of it makes it then expensive to recycle. But, Adam, perhaps you no, can You're absolutely up. right, Tom. It, it is recyclable, but the, the way we would receive it makes it so costly to then handle that it far outweighs the value of the material in the first place, which is why we come back to consumption and consumer choice. If the choice was we want that because it's the right material, then pay the premium for the treatment of that material in its entire life cycle, not just for the time that you have it as a, as a, as a farmer. That's where the systemic change is needed in the UK. Isn't that a classic example where a deposit scheme could yeah. work, in effect, that, that farmers you know, pay a little bit for the deposit, but then they, it has to be taken back? To the... Absolutely, and then you'd have an entire system built around that that was designed to handle that type of material. I'd have no problem with that whatsoever, Tom. So uh, I, I was speaking to... Um, there's a study at Coventry University, which is going on at the moment, and they're, they're studying the plastic mulch versus biodegradable mulches versus um, weeded um, organic and no weeding. And actually... And, and they don't so just have, to be clear, the mulch here is what so, goes so around the, the, the on top of the soil, sort the weeds growing. So yeah. the plastic that lines the fields is, is, goes on top, obviously, and yeah. stops the weeds growing, and it, and it provides a mini greenhouse, and it enables watering to be more... Uh, to more, more efficient. So actually, I was looking at it from the point of view of, okay, well, if you're choosing organic, a lot of organic farmers use plastic mulch because actually it's better for growth. Um, so this study is actually looking at, can we replace it with biodegradable stuff that doesn't have to be cleaned, doesn't have to go to recycling, and then can, can literally be plowed back into the land. Um, and what she told me, which was quite interesting, was that actually the yield and the the uh, the insect problems that they had, on, because it was where they hadn't weeded and they had most biodiversity, they had the fewer problems with pesticides, with pests. Didn't have to use pesticides, they weren't using them. Um, so I know that it, they are looking into this. Um, and it's kind of, if you go back to old-fashioned ways, you make hay rather than silage, if you can. Um, and so I think we just have to do that thing of kind of going, well, let's just try and do without it. How can we? Is there an alternative? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Ben. Yeah, it's uh, Ben Webster from The Times. We had the government um, celebrating today a 90% reduction in plastic bags, uh, but what they actually didn't say was that that was uh, 5p single-use thin bags, and there's actually been an enormous increase in so-called bags for life, which cost 9p typically, and there's now a billion of those sold. They actually contain four times as much plastic. And people are treating them as single-use, but they don't count in the government's figures, so it's completely silent on them while patting itself on the back over its 5p charge and its success. And we'll have the Environment Secretary in a few minutes in this very room, maybe talking about it. Anyway, is it time to actually get rid of plastic bags altogether 
uh, or actually charge quite a bit for them so that you don't keep buying them and chucking them away. I was actually interested in the uh, people who have lived in a plastic age because I do think, I'm 34, and I remember when uh, toilet rolls were in paper and our potatoes came in paper bags and uh, uh, my mum changing to uh, dispenser soap and it seemed like a big thing. And I think it's interesting how over time we've become so used to something as a standard and the norm um, when actually only a few, it was quite recently that it wasn't. And I do think that this plastic bag issue, we're not going to save the world. Uh, I hate it if I'm breaking it to anyone, but we're not going to save the world with a paper straw. We're not going to save the world just through plastic bags. And this is why it needs such a fundamental shift in how we think about plastics and their role in our society. And again, the plastic bags was something that has been introduced uh, where, uh, where it's now an issue of convenience rather than an issue of, uh, of, of how much it costs. Just on Ben's question, though, should, in effect, the, the bags for life, the thick bags, should they be almost prohibitively expensive or not on sale in supermarkets, in your view? I think that there should be, uh, they, they shouldn't be on sale in the form that they're in at the moment. Um. Don't want to dominate, sorry, but we, so we're the first retailer. We started this two weeks ago, a completely plastic bag-free shop in Hackney. Go and take a look. Um, and actually, the results have been amazing. It's one of the few trials we've done that have, has actually worked. Um, plastic bag usage has not changed, and we've switched all of it to paper. Where we've offered a paper alternative and kept the plastics, that has not worked. So it is possible, I think, to transition. Um, I want to roll it out. Doesn't this also show, Richard, that you know, for all that we, we like public opinion, I mean, whilst uh, the gentleman's got issues with how, you know, the sort of collateral damage of the plastic bag tax, it, was, it shows regulation is remarkably effective, doesn't it? You know, you put in a financial nudge and, you know, the, most people could afford 5p, but the plastic bags go through the floor. It's 100%. Very, it's very effective what so government can do. So 90% um, uh, reduction in plastic bags since the 5p charge came in. That's great for the environment, for charity and for our profits because we were spending 10 million quid a year on plastic bags we were giving away for free. However, Ben is correct, we've talked about this before, the bags for life that they have replaced, which DEFRA forgot to net off their announcement this morning, actually are three times as heavy. And therefore, we are evidence um, of the fact that all we've done is increased our plastic circulation by getting rid of 5p carrier bags. Unintended consequence. Thank you very much. I'm afraid we're going to have to, to, to bring it to uh, an end there. But uh, to Richard Walker, Martin Dory, Adam Reed, Ros Savage and Amelia Womack, thank you very much indeed. Thank you to the audience. And please put your hands together to thank the panel. Thanks for listening to this extract from the many talks and debates that happened in the National Trust Theatre at BBC Countryfile Live 2019. To learn more about this and other audio programmes from the National Trust, go to nationaltrust.org.uk slash podcasts. And to purchase your ticket for BBC Countryfile Live 2020, go to countryfilelive.com. This is a National Trust podcast recorded at BBC Countryfile Live 2019. you've enjoyed this special episode look out for the rest of the country fire live podcast on your favorite podcast app or at nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcasts and to get your ticket for bbc country fire live 2020 go to countryfirelive.com 
Next time, we'll be back to our usual National Trust podcast schedule when we explore how objects from the past can trigger precious memories for people living with dementia.